Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmati, brought to you by lisatarmati.com. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Pushing the Limits. This week, I have another wonderful professor with me who is going to share some insights on the latest research, and I'm really, really excited for this interview. I have Professor Grant Schofield, who is the Professor of Public Health at Auckland University of Technology. He's also the Director of the University's Human Potential Centre, located at the Millennium Campus up in Auckland, and his interests lie with uh, dealing with chronic disease and well-being and prevention around uh, degenerative diseases, obesity, metabolic disorders. Uh, and he's a very, very interesting man. He's written a number of books along with his team. And uh, I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. Um, we're pretty frank and upfront about our beliefs and they very much align. So I really enjoyed this talk with Professor Grant Schofield. Before we head over to the show, uh, just a reminder to check out our patron program, patron.lisatamati.com. And I'd also love you to check out our flagship epigenetics program. Now, epigenetics is all about understanding your own genes and how to optimize them for your best health. So looking at areas from your food to your exercise to the what times of the day to do things, your chronobiology, that's called, uh, looking at your mood and behavior, your what parts of the brain you mo- use most dominantly. And this is a very powerful program that has changed really um, hundreds of lives. We've now used it for a number of years in the corporate space as well as in the athletic space as well as with people dealing with different health issues. So if you want to find out more, go to lisatamati.com and hit the work with us button and you'll see our peak uh, epigenetics program. We've also got our Running Hot Coaching. Don't forget that. Runninghotcoaching.com is the website to go for our online run training system. It's all personalized, customized to you, to your next big goal. You get video analysis, a consult with me, all in the basic package, uh, and a, a plan for your next event, including everything from your strength to your mobility workouts, as well as your run sessions and advice around eating and mindset. So check that out at runninghotcoaching.com. Right, over to Professor Grant Schofield at the Millennium Centre in Auckland. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Pushing the Limits. Today, I have a superstar of a guest that I'm really, really excited about speaking to because this is a very learned gentleman and an elite athlete and someone who is I greatly admire. I have Professor Grant Schofield to guest. Welcome to the show. Lovely hi, Lisa. To have you, Grant. Yeah, thanks for having me. And um, yeah, I've been following you from a distance from years and, you know, just enjoying your achievements, loving it. So great to get on the show. And likewise, in reverse. So thank you very much. It's a, it's a real honour. Um, so today, we I reckon we're just going to dive into some of the stuff that you've been re- researching and what's on your mind at the moment, because you've got so many areas that I could go down, you know, looking at, you know, high fat diets and yeah. uh, obesity and diabetes and prevention. Then we could look at the the, um, the white paper that you've just recently released, which I've I just studied and went, wow, that was all about glutamate and excitement <laughs> toxicity. And I'm like, well, that's new. That was all new to me. So which direction? And, and firstly, give us a bit of an introduction to you and your background and your sporting career and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah. So like I'd always something that always interests me in my life is uh, things that I was sort of good at and I was only good at it because I liked doing them was uh, not so much school, but science and biology. Like I just like that. I don't know. I just like, like learning about that stuff. And I, that was right from the very start of school. And I, this is just something that continued to happen. And then I also like doing sports. Uh, and I was just like one of those kids who was into their sports and I was okay at, you know, like every New Zealand kid plays rugby. I wasn't that great, but I played it. You know, I got in the first 15 rugby and all this sort of stuff and that sort of thing. And and the school I was at also did rowing as a sport, which, you know, and they did it at a performance level. So it was to win the national championships. And they, so the, the crews I was in trained hard and uh, there was, you know, there was high performance aspects to, you know, as wrong as they were in hindsight of nutrition and psychology and, you know, training and, uh, you know, the, the, the broad range of things that good, teenage athletes get involved with and of course that all finishes when you finish school and I, I sort of found myself well, I'll go to uni uh, my dad was an engineer and he thought I should go to I, I wanted to go to do physical education uh, that was the main thing I was interested in and my family sort of 
poo-pooed me out of it and told me I should go and do engineering. And I, I lasted a week in there. <laughs> uh, it obviously, wasn't for me. Yep. So I ended up in in a degree studying physiology and psychology, just a, a science degree because that's what I found interesting. And then I, I went from you know, not really being that interested to all of a sudden getting these A pluses. I didn't think I was wow. that brainy, but it was just, you know, I was just used to go to lectures and not really take notes and just listen and ask questions. And it was really interesting. Mm. Um, and then, but because I wasn't that mature, there was never a point in my life early on where I was like, you know, Grant Schofield is now capable of getting a decent job where someone's going to employ him <laughs> and he's going to make some difference to the world. That wasn't a thing, right? Yeah. So, so you know, I couldn't finish this one degree and go and get a job because I wasn't capable of doing any work. I didn't <laughs> think like that at the time, but that's the <laughs> reality in hindsight, right? So, um, and, and of course, this is the early 90s and this uh, sport of triathlon was coming on the scene and where I live in New Zealand, there was these 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 you know, great personalities like Erin uh, Baker, uh, mm. another woman, Erin Christie, uh, and another one, uh, Rick Wells, and um, you know, just Legends. heroes to, to, yeah. to a young person. And then I ended yeah. up, you know, uh, going out training with Rick quite a lot, and you know, wow. learned a lot of these people, and you know, just got into the sport. Uh, and the thing is about endurance, especially longer endurance, as you know. Um, whilst you need to be sort of mentally tough, the pain's a lot softer than something like uh, you know, rowing or, or you know, imagine a 3,000 metres running or a you know, four to 800 metres swimming. These are, these are sports where the piano actually does fall hard on you. Um, <laughs> and so, so that sort of softer pain of the, uh, the softer, endurance. Softer, longer. Longer. There's um, other pains that come in there with the Yeah, loops. yeah, but, but it's, more <laughs> of a, it's more of a thinking person's sport, right? Because you yeah. get to work through that. Whereas, you know, in a 400 meters swimming, no, you don't get to work through anything. It's no. Just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just falling on you. The sky's coming in. <laughs> and so I really love that stuff. And so I just did more and more of it. I just wanted to do nothing but that. You know, the mindset of the, the endurance athlete that, that just wants to do more of yeah, that. Yeah, but, more and more. But, more. Um, you know, luckily I sort of carried on with my studies and then um, started my academic career and then, and then, I became a psychologist. I'm actually quite useless at psychology because <laughs> mainly because I want to give people the answer. And of course, you know, good psychological counseling is about asking open ended questions. questions, you know, reflective listening, um, and waiting for the client to come up with a solution, which is absolutely hopeless. Um, as my wife would t t tell you, um, yeah, that's you're more like action orientated, eh? Like, no, yeah. where's the solution here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, 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 this is why this is the problem for you. Let's, let's sort that out. Yeah. Um, and it. then, yeah, by the by, the early two thousands, we'd we'd really just dawned on us that our kids didn't look like we did when we were kids. <laughs> yeah, and you know, like you go and look. I, I, I actually was reflecting on this the other day. I, I, I looked at my photo of Twizel Primary School, Year One, in nineteen seventy four, and, and you know, by modern standards, that people would be wondering if those kids are properly fed, um, why the teachers are so lean. Uh, and you compare that with with a modern day year one primary yeah. school class or, or later, and it's a different world we lived in. That so that that was the early two thousands. That world had unfolded, right? So it didn't mm. wasn't the same. And and you know, kids weren't as fit as they used to be. They were they weren't the same shape they used to be. And and we wondered why. And so that was really the field that welcomed me, which was wow. Is that who you uh, got tapped into? Nutrition. Yeah, yeah. I just didn't mean to. And then you know, all of a sudden. I guess my research career has followed my curiosity around the world. So, you know, when you're, when you've got young kids, you're interested in young kids. When you've got teenagers, you're interested in teenagers. When I was racing elite high performance triathlons, you're interested in that. And, and thankfully being an academic, it allows you the, especially in my field, allows you the freedom to roam around those uh, and, and understand those different things. So I've sort of had a, Maybe it's a short concentration span, but in fact, actually, just a curiosity to keep rolling my research career and practice. That's um, really my... gold that you can do that with an academic career. Sort of go go like this and still stay, you know. Yeah, employed. I mean, you've got, you can't you can't go off into sort of you know rocket propulsion or something. But you know, like yeah, you know, as long as I'm sticking to the main things, which are being you know a, a sort of fitness, uh, nutrition, sleep, uh, well being, then you know those sort of four things combined. Mm have really been my wheelhouse, but, you know, in different, the settings and the context seems to often change. And, you know, then you just, you know, like a, you, you'll do some work and you'll discover what you think an answer is or not an answer is. It's a dead end or it's actually got places to go. Then you're sort of done with that and you're on to the next 
sort of variation of something. So yep. yeah, that's sort of been my um, life. So the latest stuff is really we've done you know, a lot of work on on you know, low-carbon keto diets, mm-hmm. fasting, written quite a few books on that. Uh, yeah, uh, and what the fat and... Yeah, yeah. Yep. And so that's been you know, really interesting for me, you know, for, for reversing things like diabetes at one end of the spectrum, um, sort of that sort of metabolic dysregulation through to the other end of, of a of you know high performance Ironman athletes who I coach still, you know, being able to triple their ability to burn free fatty acids at a given intensity and really, you know, have a pretty much inexhaustible fuel supply where before that they would, you know, really run out of glycogen and, and struggle through the enjoyment and performance of an event. So so well, let's, that, um, let's 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 start with that one, just if I yep. may, and, and interrupt you there because it's yep. you know something that's fascinated me. And you know when I was you know active career, I'd never become fat adapted as an athlete. Yep. What is so you you your take is that sh- should endurance athletes be always fat adapted, or is it a genetic thing? Some people are good at it, and some people less so. What is your take on it now, like given the knowledge that you have and the experience? So I think the the normal human condition, if you wandered up to a Paleolithic human um, before you know we started farming grains and wheat and stuff, the sort of hunter gatherers, that they would have uh, enjoyed this metabolic flexibility to use fat as a primary fuel source when they were resting and moving around at low intensities, and then um, as they got higher and higher intensity, then they would have supplemented that fat burning with extra energy produced from burning glucose mm-hmm. in, in their body, and 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 but that doesn't exist so commonly, and so that would just been the normal human state. That that's you burn fat in some circumstances and carbs and fat in the other circumstance. But if you went down to the local Westfield shopping mall and you went to the food hall and you you brought all those people up to my lab and put them on our metabolic cart and measured their because you can measure breath breath by breath gas analysis and mm-hmm. understand whether they're burning primarily fat or carbohydrate or whatever wow. mix of yeah and so we, we do that sort of graded exercise test you start at rest just breathing into the tube um the machine's analyzing fat and carb burning and as you increase you know intensity like running speed or power on the bike then then you just see this graded change now uh, your average person off the street in the food hall um doesn't burn fat even at rest so they're metabolically inflexible yep and then the question is can you train that um, and can you train that even in high-performance athletes? And, and I think the answer is yes. And I'll give you a good example. There's a, a young fellow I train, um, Matt Kerr, and Matt won't mind me saying this. I've, I've trained him for a few years now. So he, he came from a CrossFit background. He was a fit young man. Um, you know, he'd, he would be eating mostly carbs, actually. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's and, what we were all told yeah, back in the day, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Yeah. So and. And so he wanted me to help him prepare for an Ironman triathlon. And so I started training him in, say, I don't know, April one year, so over in New Zealand winter. Didn't really mention diet because we couldn't seem to get to that, but we sort of got him on the idea that he had to go bike riding and what running would look like. And you know, he was learning these sports. Uh, and by December, he did his first triathlon, which was a 70.3, a sort of half Ironman, mm-hmm. um, with a view to going through to Ironman New Zealand three months later in the uh, beginning of March. He did pretty well, actually. Like, he came fourth overall wow. in the amateurs, so his first triathlon. He's yeah. a talented young man. He's, he's yeah. a swimmer. He could learn how to bike. He could run a bit. And I was like, but I knew he was a carb, and I was like, Matt, I need to put you in my lab, and we need to measure your, you know, your fuel burning and that. So early December, we got him in there, and, and so his peak fat oxidation was about uh, half a gram a minute at uh, – about 165 watts on the bike. So it's not very good power output. It's not going to be very fast. And um, he's only getting because uh, a gram of fat is about nine calories. He's burning mm-hmm. half of one of those a minute over 60 yep. minutes. He's, he's, you know, he's got about 400 to 500 calories an hour available from fat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's going to be racing at 1,200 calories an hour. Yeah. So... Well, um, over hard. several hours, yeah. he simply is going to run into all sorts of trouble, right? Because he's got this deficit of you know, 800 calories an hour he needs to find from glucose. And he's got probably 2,000 calories that he's got in his muscles and liver. Mm-hmm. And he can, consume another cu- he can consume another couple of hundred by, uh, by eating gels and stuff or bananas or something. Um, so he's woefully short, and and so it means he can just make a half Ironman over four hours. We put him over eight or nine hours, 
he's going to he's going to grovel home. It's going to be a really bad mess. And indeed, that's what you see. It's always frustrated me. I go to things like Ironman triathlon. These sort of you know eight to fifteen-hour uh, events or seventeen-hour events for people. And uh, I think the saddest thing for me is, first of all, there's you know two-thirds of the field still mimics the general population, which is overweight. Yeah. Uh, and and virtually all of them run out of glucose or glycogen in their body sometime during the bike or shortly into the run. And so the whole marathon experience for them is a very unpleasant affair. Yeah. Um, they don't like doing it. They finally make it. It's been a real drain on, and they've had so much support from their friends and family over that preparation period, and it was all avoidable. So with Matt, with that in mind, we're like, well, this isn't going to happen with you, Matt. So um, we stuck him on a strict keto diet for three weeks. Um, his training over that period was – it was fairly low intensity. We didn't really go for any intensity up until after the new year mm-hmm. period. Um, and then just set him onto his Ironman training. And, and that includes um, his long run and his long bike, which he did weekly in a, as doing them fasted. Yep. So with just water. So people find that a little bit extreme, but the intensity is really low. Yep. Um, and so we'd go out and do, you know, like a six hour bike in the end at, you know, with no food. Wow. Um, wow. And he'd be fine. And that's um, the thing, you're adapted. Yeah, get adapted. And so got him back into the lab just before Ironman and he had improved his maximum fat oxidation from uh, half a gram a minute at 165 watts or something to um, 1.1 grams a minute at um, 260 watts. Wow. So so now he's able to supply, you know, 800 calories an hour from from is fat. That, um, and it? he can do it at 260 watts, which is actually a reasonably competitive power output. He's going to get along at, you know, 39, 40 k's an hour. Wow. And... Yeah, and so in his first, second ever triathlon, in his first Ironman, he does, you know, he finishes, I don't know, in the top uh, 10 in uh, nine hours, 22. So good effort. That's um, amazing. Yeah, we come back the next year, uh, now with a bit more training under his belt, and he, and he manages eight hours, 50. Wow. Um, and this year he comes back and he, he wins the entire age group race, race by half an hour, breaks the course record by seven minutes and does 8.27. Wow. Um, and... And I got him back in the lab straight after that. And what we saw is, is further fat adaptation over that two-year period. So now he is able to burn 1.8 grams a minute of fat at 310 watts. Ah, um, and that's an that's astonishing power output. So, so at 310 watts, you know, you're doing 42 k's an hour on, on a decent course. And that's, you know, he, he, he rode four hours 29 for 180 k's. It's, you know, it's a astonishing time, um, especially for a guy who's working full-time as a teacher. Wow. So, that's insane. So that's and what we mean by being metabolically flexible and and becoming a real fat-burning machine. But what about the arguments about, you know, um, I mean, keto diet is a very difficult diet for people to, you know, if we're talking about the general population now and, you know, yeah. uh, it's, a, it's quite a hard diet to stick yeah. to long-term. Yeah. Yeah. What about, so, adherence to things? And then yeah. do you have to be strictly keto? Like, yeah. you have to be really low on your carbs in order to get the ketones and the, you know, be in ketosis and to get this fat adaptation. Yeah. Is there any middle ground? Can you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great question. I mean, the, yeah, the, the, the series of questions you've got there, Lisa, are just, you know, crucial. And the answer is um, initially getting into that zone for that three weeks are very strict. Yeah. And so that that's three weeks. After that, um, you know, it's very much cyclical. So we generate nutritional ketosis and fat burning by fasted long workouts. Um, and on other key sessions during the week, we're adding adding carbohydrate quite a bit. So it's 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 it's, it's definitely it's going... not a strict ketogenic diet at all. Um, and we'll have off periods where you know he's just eating whatever. Um, in fact, I actually have trouble trying to get him off the keto and to be a bit more loose, frankly. Yeah, um, he's very but, yeah, but that's that's but. an athlete, not a normal human. Yeah. Um, in that sense, so yeah, I, I mean, this is why I introduced the idea of fasting and intermittent fasting, and and I'm quite keen on that. Um, and, and you know, for me, in the what the fast book, I tried to sort of mimic what I felt was a an easy, sustainable, cyclical way for me to eat that generated yes fat burning. Yeah, not and so. I and mean, you I, could is, do that with autophagy, you know, like um, you yeah, know, like well, we're, we're well, all talking about intermittent fasting, and and yeah. I do it like an intermittent fasting, a shortish intermittent fasting. Yeah. It, it, you know, is that going to? I'm not going to get into ketosis doing an intermittent fast, am I? Like well, I'll tell you what we did. So, so I just I would do this sort of pattern of um, Sunday, try and be reasonably good on the low carb, just eat whatever I wanted, but you know, try and be okay with it. 
Um, Monday, do some restricted eating windows. So, you know, it might be, you know, a longish window. Um, someone who's experienced like me, I can just have one meal that day. And the Tuesday, I just did the same thing. So, you know, and, and when I had a meal, I made sure it was super filling, super nutritious. I was calling them super meals. So that's my, that's my Monday and Tuesday, my hard parts of the week. Right. So I worked hard and I concentrated hard on my nutrition and generated nutritional ketosis. By, by Monday lunchtime, despite the weekend Saturday being quite poor, I was back yeah. in full ketosis. Um, I made a bit of an effort on Monday and Tuesday, so I sort of hung on to some stuff with, you know, no re- particular restriction, but trying to keep the carbs down for, for Wednesday, Thursday. By the end of Friday, everything had sort of gone pretty loose, and Saturday was could be sometimes off the rails completely. Yeah, and you know, completely out of nutritional ketosis and plenty of carbs, even the odd bit of alcohol, which I'm not encouraging, by the way, but that just seems to happen sometimes. Yeah, and um, you got to live too. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so, so I'd be completely out of ketosis and in no shape for that at all. But by Monday morning, I'll be back in again. So I just get this period. So you can do that, like, because that's that's been my yeah. question too. It's like, do I, do I if I go to ketosis, you know, go the keto diet? Um, yeah. Do you, do, you, do you have to, you know, do it as a religion? You know, like this is like nah. this is me. And then you get people like Dave Asprey. I don't know if you read his book Fastest yeah, yeah, yeah. Way, and the, yeah, yeah. Um, that was like you know he talks about cyclic keto and yeah. how that's even better than just being straight keto because you know keto itself can have some negative benefit. You know, yeah, negative yeah, yeah, yeah. Things. So c- completely agree. And so you know, unless you're wanting to be on keto for some sort of therapeutic reason and if had you know glioblastoma brain sort of you know, brain, brain cancer <laughs> or brain injury like a tbi i think is a uh, interesting thing you know some uh, other cancers or you're in chemo therapy then you know, i don't see any reason to be in that state um all the time but the point is having the metabolic machinery to to be able to be and easily get in there now you know my hypothesis is that paleolithic one which is really that humans are metabolically flexible it's the normal human condition and to um, see modern humans that have really lost their orchestration of their metabolism to to burn fat as a primary fuel source is, is a sort of denying your own humanity type situation without being too dramatic about it really yeah. but yeah 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 yeah, yeah. And, but it is if we you know like um I was reading one of your blogs and you had um another uh, Dr Lisa Timoringa, I think it was, yeah. um, saying, oh, but, you know, like if we look from an evolutionary perspective, the cavemen, because this is an argument that I've had with people too, oh, but the cavemen didn't live very long, you know, so therefore it's not a good diet and that's, you know, to to say that that's – but that's not – look, but that helped us survive till now, you know, yeah, like we complete, wouldn't That's have, a complete straw man of an argument, by the way. Yeah, I, mean, I think you know, so too. Yeah, I mean, first of all, yeah, well, the average life expectancy was fairly low for – for well, other that, reasons. That's, that's for other reasons. <laughs> if you didn't have those reasons, you actually survival was pretty good. And and actually, you know, the important thing to remember is that Paleolithic humans didn't have chronic disease. So they didn't have this these, you know, what they is it in New Zealand at the moment? Twelve years of disability in their life before they died, which you know, so subtract twelve off your lifespan to get your health span. Yes, you know, yes. The health exactly. span and lifespan were the same thing. And, and yeah, and I'm then we don't have about that. infant mortality like they did, and we didn't have lions right. chasing yeah. us, and we've got all these other things that make us live longer. Yeah. But now we yeah. even have to take even more care of our metabolic, you know, our, our state in order that we don't have these long term. And I mean, I've been living with the consequences of mum's metabolic disorders leading to an aneurysm yeah. for the past five yeah. years and trying to undo yeah. the yeah. damage. Uh, you know, yeah. so I, I know what I'm talking about is like. And that decline that we see with so many people for over decades sometimes, and it's just a horrific way to go out for a starters. You know? I, I don't think anyone, if you ask them when they're in good health about how they want the rest of their life to track, says they want to be in poor health with a low health span. I don't think that's a, a topic that people raise as being a good thing. No, and in fact, it's my experience not... when I ask even people who aren't doing many healthy behaviours of what they want, then they'll say health, family, friends, and happiness whatever that means, but the, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I, I think this is the discussion that we need to be having so that we, we find out what the optimum diet is and, and, and you know, like people are 
I know I've I've struggled with my diet over the years. You know, like I, yeah. one of the reasons I started running was because I wanted to eat more because I love food. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> and then then I suddenly, you know, at some point I realised, hang on, this this hypothesis of calories in, calories out is absolute bullshit. Yeah. Um, but this isn't working, and you know that really came to you know people who heard my podcast and heard me say when I ran through New Zealand and I just suddenly woke up. You know, I was running five hundred kilometres a week. Yeah, and I was wow. getting fatter. Because I was I was in a complete state of chaos, you know, my hormones were up, my water retention, all of that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, high amount of inf- inflammation probably. Huge amounts of inflammation and yep. I ended up flaccid, losing muscle mass and getting fatter and having a slower metabolic rate. I could have sat on the couch and eat chips and gotten better, you know, <laughs> better yeah, shape. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's when a sort of light bulb went for me like this. You know, and that it also had other reasons. Like uh, genetically, I'm not really made for the long distance stuff. I'm more the uh, high intensity, sh- yeah, shorter, yeah. sharper is is more yeah. suited to me. So I was doing that wrong as well. Because some people, it's better to be doing the long. But I think having these discussions where we really dig in, and you've done the research, you know what from an evolutionary perspective what we need to be eating, and the the state of our food now is the is the, is horrific. And then you you add into all that the the whole addictive nature of yeah. all the stuff and the additives, the preservatives, the MSGs, the all of the the sugars that are added to our foods, and people are up against it. Like you know, yeah, like yeah, it's not no, even I, I, I agree. Actually, those two topics it might be worth going into those. I've got two sort of yes, student please. theses and you know, working in both of those areas. The first you mentioned, like you go out the state of our food supply. So what we've been doing recently is um, we've been going to primary schools around the place and we've been taking photos of all the year sixes lunch boxes. Yep. And, and and whatever you think, particularly on you know what we call that social gradient, that sort of tipping of rich versus poor at the bottom end of that, whatever you think the food supply is like, I, I don't care what you think about how bad it is, it's worse than you think. Yeah. Um. And, and you know, um, I, I, like I actually cried. I actually well, physically cried. This is what our kids are getting to eat every yeah, day. Yeah, and and so how that's not a priority um, yeah, is the thing. And just, just remember that you know the biggest cost to our healthcare system for our kids is 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 having to anaesthetise them to extract teeth because they're rotten at age five, and we can't they'll wiggle around too much if they're not anaesthetised. So you know, I mean, what society treats as its most vulnerable like that, you know, and 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 you know. Just a, one little rant. In kids' healthcare, we have to go and do fundraising and buy raffle tickets to pay for our hospitals for kids. And we don't do that with adults. Um, you know, that sort of fundraising yeah. for that is despicable. It's not a government that cares. No. Um, so, not so, to mention the whole bloody ambulance service and all that. Yeah, other yeah, stuff, that's anyway. all that. So, yeah, we don't fund that and all, you know, all that <laughs> sort of stuff as well. So, that's just a massive hole, yeah. frankly. That's a big hole. Um, yep. And the second thing is, I've got another student who's just really got into this, the addiction side. Of food and mm. you know, as a former psychologist, you go through and look at this. Um, you know, you use this diagnostic and statistical manual DSM DSM five is the latest version, which is a way of characterizing disorders. And you look at this sort of substance misuse um, disorder, which is really around addictions. And you know, if you change the word alcohol or methamphetamine or tobacco for sugar, yeah, then you know the sorts <laughs> of things. You know, um, you know, sometimes feel withdrawal, sometimes. You know, eat more than I should, change, change my behavior and uh, make things worse in my life. You know, you go across all 11 criteria and you go, yeah, it's, yep. it's pretty plausible. That's it's a real addiction. thing. Yeah. And, and the thing is with addictions, of course, is that people go because everyone's not addicted to it doesn't mean it's not a thing. So there's, there's, there's a lot of alcohol drunk where people don't turn into alcoholics. Yep. Um, it doesn't mean there's not such a thing as alcoholics and there's, you know, and for many people, it becomes a, a, a substance they can't control using. And, and, and I feel the yeah. same things yeah. about sugar and your know, ultra-processed food in general, really. Yeah, and the sugar, I mean, the, I mean, the, like people like you, I know you've done a lot of work with the Pacific Island population and Māori and, and so on. We have a predisposition to, to, you know, not being able to cope with the sugars and the more cardiovascular disease and more metabolic disorders. Um, so we're even more prey to this stuff because the bodies yeah. aren't, haven't had, I don't know, hundreds of years of, of having it to a certain yeah. degree. Um, and, I mean, I've struggled. You know, sugar is definitely one of those things that is one of the hardest addictions, I think. Not that I've been addicted to anything else, but it's a yeah. bloody hard addiction to, 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 to get rid of and stay on top of because yeah, and, it's and, 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 quick, you know. Like yeah, something like smoking or alcohol, like the abstinence part of it is, is you know, hard, but 
but, but it's slightly easier yeah. because it's contained, whereas sugar is so ubiquitous in the food supply. You can't it's, stop it's, it. It's very hard. You know, all of a sudden you put some chili sauce on your something and, you know, oh, damn, yeah, it's 75% sugar, you know, like it's. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you don't even realize it and unless yeah. you start, you know, baking and making everything from scratch. And, yeah. and, you, and then, you know, not to mention all the, the MSGs and the additives, preservatives, yeah, yeah, emulsifiers yeah, yeah. that are, you know, destroying yeah. our guts and causing yeah. us to want more. I mean, there's a re- reason why you can't eat one chip. If you eat one chip, you've eaten the packet because. Well, that's certainly my addicted. experience. But, but um, strangely, and I had an argument with a dietitian the other day about this, there's this whole movement called intuitive eating. And it's like, oh, her hypothesis was, well, the whole reason we. Um, I was like, look, there's no point having salt and chips in my house because they'll last five minutes. I'll eat the whole lot. Yeah. She's like, oh, no, no, no. The way you should overcome that is just have um, have dozens of packets in there and just eat yourself silly and then you'll get over it. I no, was that's like, no, 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 that's just bullshit in my experience. Pretty much done that and that didn't work. <laughs> Still want salt and chips. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, that doesn't work. I've, I've heard that that theory too and I think that's yeah. absolute rubbish and not something that I'd recommend for a starters because no. you're going no, to actually I don't, I don't either. make so. yourself sick. <laughs> you know, like, that's like, you know, if a little bit's good, then we might as well just have some more. Um, yeah, no, yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's ridiculous. Really? They still, they still think that. Um, yeah, no, there's a whole movement. You're kidding. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but how do we help people? Because people are unaware of the addictive nature of their food, and we're so like I can't, I don't have a big garden full of organic veggies. I don't have the time, you know, all the all the knowledge and the you know I used to have a, my dad used to do my garden and then it was good, but now I don't. Yeah. Um, most of us don't have access to to good quality foods. What the hell do we do? We go into the supermarket and it's just so easy to pick up a pre-made sauce, you know, a tomato yeah. sauce, a bolognese sauce, instead of, you know, buying a bloody lot of tomatoes and making it. But yeah, but we're we're we've fallen into this trap and now we're addicted, all of us, because the big food industry is wants you to eat more of its crap. Yeah, they've conspired um, yeah. both in research and um practice and then just in all practical ways and in fact um, I wrote a paper with a, a couple of superstars actually a guy Asim Mahotra who's a cardiologist cardiologist in London and a Rob Lustig uh, who's pretty famous a pediatric mm. endocrinologist from San Francisco about mm-hmm. the, the the tricks that the food industry has pulled which are pretty much the exact same ones as Big Tobacco have over the years you know creating bogus interest groups yeah, false advocacy sponsoring yep. athletes la 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 um, this goes on um, been a part of that machinery, unfortunately. You know, when I was a young athlete, being sponsored by Coca Cola, you know, like I never, yeah, right. didn't have a yeah, well, I'm, I, I was told I was told not to come back to Ironman New Zealand. I spoke there one time a couple of years ago because I I, um, I I had a go at their sponsor's product, which was Nutrigrain, Kellogg's Nutrigrain, which yeah, is yeah. You know, this four and a half star health rating food. That's you know a third <laughs> sugar. It's just a disgrace. Um, yeah, and that was not welcome again. We, so. You know, like yeah, when you see you know like famous. Sports teams, I won't name any, but you know, and their nutritionists on the telly telling you to eat yeah. stuff that really is not what you want your kids eating, and yeah. you're just like, wow, that's yeah. <clears throat> that is wrong on so many levels, yeah. you know. Actually, I'll tell you a story about that. Um, well, maybe I should tell this on it, but I, I, years ago, I was I gave this talk on sort of update on on you know physical activity and health for for some executives of Coca Cola um, over at this Waipuna Lodge in uh, in Auckland, and and I'd finished my talk and I was just at the back and they hadn't quite realised they hadn't gone and the next guy that got up was the corporate guy from the US about how they're going to um, discredit various nutrition people and it's sort of active tactics they went around and I sort of sat there and listened to it and then I was like wow. oh and then after, about halfway through I thought shit I, I'm actually I might not get out of here alive yeah um, <laughs> yeah but there was like an active discussion about about the tactics to you know to to, to deal yeah. with scientists yeah. who were dissonant to the to the view um wow. to, to their world view which I thought was a really interesting that's um, that's point. but this is a reality and this is yeah. what's happening not only in the food industry it's yeah. also happening in the pharmaceutical industry it's also yeah. happening in in many industries that we yeah. in the public and not you know and we, we you've got people like you that are brave enough to stand up and say stuff you know you get attacked you know I, i'm i'm quite surprised that my podcast hasn't been taken off here yet but anyway yeah. it's like yeah. what to happen if google hears yeah, it yeah no, that's that's right and, and yeah it will 
Well, hopefully, hopefully it won't, but people people will be. There's forces in play there, and you know you don't want to get too conspiratorial because it sometimes yeah. requires a degree of organisation that doesn't they're not capable of. But you know, I, I think in the food industry case and pharmaceutical industry, the evidence has been there for a long time. Yep, yeah, and and I think you know my approach to it now is like where possible, light a candle toward the good information rather than fighting and banging your head against the, you know. Yeah. Because you know, otherwise you you can end up in a in a very bad place. <laughs> yeah. Um, but okay, so so we know that there's all these addictive forces, if you like, at, at play. And so, because you just look around town, you know, and and the obesity, and our boys are looking like girls, and you know, the hormone regulation is just obviously affected and um fertility rates are going down and you know we're we're fighting a war here and we've got kids that are already diabetic and before they're even teenagers and this is a coming huge disaster for the healthcare system um yeah yeah and i think you're in public health the present one that i've become much more interested in because it's you know, I think it's become more obvious to me for a bunch of reasons. I'll tell you a few stories is, is, is mental health, particularly youth mental health. And so, you know, I've been an academic for, for a few decades. And, you know, a decade ago or two decades ago, okay, students would get sick and some would have some mild mental health problems, but it wasn't really a thing that you would see very much. Now at the moment, I, I, all the time I get you know, students so-and-so is dropping out of the degree now because of their mental health, they've got an anxiety. And these are um, really smart, intelligent, switched-on people with, you know, these are at the top of the socioeconomic ladder. And we know how much worse it is at the bottom. They don't even get there in the first place. Mm. Um, that, that youth suicide rate in New Zealand, it keeps getting talked about. It's the tip of an iceberg for a major problem. One of the mm. women that I work with, uh, uh, mid-20s, beautiful intelligent woman, you know, we're talking about SSRIs, antidepressants. She goes, oh, yeah, I've been on those. They could have knocked me over. And I said, oh, you know, is, is that a common thing for sort of your friend group and that sort of thing? She goes, oh, yeah, pretty much everyone I know is on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. and so we've got this. It's a good segue. Into you know, because the brain's a metabolic. We've mm. got a metabolic crisis with obesity and diabetes. But, you know, guess what? The most important metabolic organ is it's your brain. Yeah. And, and somehow... You know, again, here we are asleep at the wheel. We've got this, you've got this treatment gap. So even if we could treat them with anything effective, which is doubtful um, from our current system, yeah, it can only treat half, half, the, half of the 910,000 people in a country of 5 million because um, 910,000 is the number of serious mental health problems. Wow. Um, half of them don't get any treatment wow. whatsoever because there is no treatment. Um, uh, you ring the mental health crisis line, which we've had to do, and they will say, "Are they killing themselves right now?" And that's just like, "No." And it's like, "Okay, we'll go to your doctor." We haven't got time. (laughs) Yeah. Then, okay, we're not doing anything, and and we'll go to your doctor. And you go, "What? what, If you go to your doctor, you know that there's a nine-month wait to see a psychologist." Yep. You know, like it's just unacceptable. And what's the answer? The course, the easy answer for the doctor is to give them an SSRI. Or yeah, which doesn't work very well. No. Um, impairs their neuroplasticity if they're a young person yep. and causes some harm. And um, closes down hormones and, you know, does c- different, c- yeah. Yeah, 100%. Just interrupting the program briefly to let you know that we have a new patron program for the podcast. Now, if you enjoy pushing the limits, if you get great value out of it, we would love you to come and join our patron membership program. We've been doing this now for five and a half years and we need your help to keep it on air. It's been a public service free for everybody and we want to keep it that way. But to do that, we need like-minded souls who are on this mission with us to help us out. So if you're interested in becoming a patron, Patron for Pushing the Limits podcast, then check out everything on patron.lisatamati.com. That's P-A-T-R-O-N dot lisatamati.com. We have two patron levels to choose from. You can do it for as little as $7 a month, New Zealand, or $15 a month if you really want to support us. So we, we are grateful if you do. There are so many membership benefits you're going to get if you join us. 
everything from workbooks for all the podcasts, the strength guide for runners, uh, the power to vote on future episodes, uh, webinars that we're going to be holding, all of my documentaries, and much, much more. So check out all the details, patron.lisatamati.com, and thanks very much for joining us. So so, so to me, the, you know, the, the unacknowledged metabolic crisis, yeah, we can see obesity, um, yeah, we can measure diabetes, um, yeah, and those are problems. But you know, to me, the most perverse one, especially having you know teenage kids myself, and um, that sort of thing, is this youth mental health thing. It's it's you know, it's despicable. Um, and and you know, like my, my dad, you know, good for him. He had metastatic prostate cancer, and we sorted it with his keto diet. But the amount of access to expensive treatment he was able to get in his eighties, compared to you know, a, a young woman in the early 20s who has a serious mental health problem that's going to affect her and everyone around her for the rest of their lives who can get none, it's perverse. Like, who spends their money on health that way? You know, like, I want my dad to get his treatment and get better and everything, which he has, mm. but, you know, like, what sort of society prioritises that over over these young people? Yeah, and what and what can we do? Like, why, you know, there, there is a lot of, I mean, I, I talk preach this a lot and I know that your research is also pointing in this direction that there's a lot of health fundamentals that we can get right that can actually help people without costing anything even yeah. you know without without having to be a pharmacological intervention how about we we try to teach people how to manage themselves and I mean I've had you know I was on antidepressants for over 20 years and I could not get off them because yeah, they are addictive, addictive. And it took me three years to get off them. And thank wow. God I did. And, um, but I, you know, in my early 20s had, had you know, relationship crises, was put on them, you know, and just stayed on them because I didn't know any better. And wow. what, a, you know, what implications that's had for me and then trying to get off them. And, of course, your body starts to downregulate your own you know, uh, yep. you're not you're not producing your own. And I've got off them now and I'm fine and, and, and so on and I'm helping other family members off them. But that was the first port of call. Now I understand the need for, you know, the, the health fundamentals like sleep hygiene and movement and exercise and sunshine and the right diet because diet is a huge piece of the puzzle because your gut and your brain are connected and there's a lot of, like you say, effects when you have a bad diet and you have bad nutrition, you're going to have more mental instability, if you if you want to put it that way. You're going to have more problems than if you're on a good, really robust, solid, good diet. That's going to affect your mental health. And what are our kids, you know, they're not getting any of that information or any so, programs around that. Yeah, and you interfere with you know, one aspect of metabolic homeostasis with an antidepressant and you're surprised that it doesn't work very well and there's unintended consequences. Mm, very um, big ones. You know, what, what we're trying to do is, and humans, I think, all want to be in this state, we're trying to return ourselves to a sort of metabolic homeostasis where things are balanced and well-regulated. And for you know, for the most of the body, that's the you know, primary target there is the sugar in your blood and the insulin in your blood because if those aren't right then you're an inflammatory environment and you know pro-growth and no chance to you know be in that autophagy of tightening things up so that's Mm -hmm. the sort of you know big metabolic picture but in the brain I've just started to stitch together a much more I think coherent view of what's going on because the the balance of of neurotransmitters in the brain is important uh, I just think, like with the low-fat revolution, we picked fat, not carbohydrates. We picked the wrong one of the three. Yeah. Uh, with SSRIs, we picked serotonin. Yeah. As as the neurotransmitter to manage, and we need to get it back to where it started more yep. quickly. That's what reuptake inhibitors do. And um, actually, yeah. Yeah, the, you, the, sorry, you, you've written a paper recently on. Um, um, glutamate and that's role in, in, in all of this. Can you? Well, I hadn't. I hadn't six is? months ago. I hadn't. I had heard of glutamate because I, you know, trained in psychology, and frankly, I'd forgotten what it did uh, until one of my, you know, smart students reminded me. 
um, that glutamate is the most important and most prevalent excitatory neurotransmitter in the brain. It, it's about 90% of your neurotransmitters. It, it runs in tandem with an inhibitory system called GABA. And mm -hmm. so these two things operate together. Uh, to, the inhibition fine-tunes the excitation. Uh, and, and not only that, the glutamate gets recycled onto glutamine and then back into GABA, and this, they, they rely on one another to be in a, in a sort of uh, you know, good, and healthy cycle. relationship, right? Yeah. And so what happens is when there's overexcitation, which you know, chronic stress does, then glutamate, because it's excitatory neurotransmitter, just keeps getting pumped out. Yep. Uh, pumped out, pumped out, and, and it hits its receptor at the other side of the the synapse, you know, between neurons, um, and that 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 receptor, it's called the NMDA receptor, gets mm -hmm. it's downregulated, so it stops seeing the glutamate as much as it could be, which causes wow. even more glutamate to be produced, uh, and and then this glutamate starts to seep out of that that cleft into just general space, and. The trouble it's with toxic. that, it's toxic, and this is called glutamate excitotoxicity. So this mm. is not a theory; this is a thing, and and it starts to kill brain cells. And the trouble right. with that death, first of all, it atrophies neurons, which is never good, no. um, and they're not there anymore um, when they die. But those dying neurons themselves spill out glutamate into more glutamate oh, into the wow. space, and you get this downward spiral of neurodegeneration and neurodegeneration exactly right and so the, the the most interesting thing in my mind about this and this is why i'm so excited about it mm. is is because and you'll see this so the most obvious is a concussion or a mild tbi a traumatic brain injury is that um what causes your initial brain cell death is just an insult like you bang your head right mm. so you get that gluso glutamatic cytotoxicity, and the, the initial effect of the concussion is mild, but the long-term effects of the concussion because of the glutamatic cytotoxicity are severe. And so, so you know, that's why concussions get worse and worse and worse for, for a time after they've happened. Oh, God, uh, thanks for and, somebody saying that because people go to the hospitals with a concussion and they go, no, there's, you've had a mild concussion, go home and rest, and that's it. And it's like, well, there is so much we can do. And there's, there's, there's 100% there's so much we can do. And in fact, yeah. we already do it when it gets really severe, right? So so um, if you're in hospital with ischemia, you know, so lack of oxygen in the brain from a heart attack, or sometimes in some hospitals, neonatal hypoxia, so you've become, newborns become part of oxygen. Um, one way that they deal with that is that they, they induce hypothermia because cold exposure um, especially in those areas, helps reduce glutamate. Um, and they provide intravenous magnesium because magnesium um, antagonizes as a receptor and allows glutamate to get back to its homeostatic levels more quickly. And it's highly effective. And the animal studies are very, very convincing. And it's now a clinical practice, even for things like spinal cord injury. And then you start oh. to think about other ways that the brain gets damaged. So Alzheimer's and dementia is an interesting one. So for other reasons, um, including high glucose, we start to lose uh, brain cells, but as, but as soon as you start to develop that excitotoxicity, then then it exacerbates the problem massively. Uh, a, a mild, you know, a severe stress, which results in post-traumatic stress disorder, is another way of damaging the brain initially through chronic yeah. elevated glutamate, but it, but it, it rolls onto itself. Yep. And unless it's solved, then it, then it's not a problem. And this it, is why stress and trauma can yeah, have so, such but, but just brain chronic, chronic stress. You know, yep. You're just stressed out. Your fight or flight response is up more than it should, and it goes on a long time. The two to three minutes that it's designed to be up for is actually days, months, years. Mm -hmm. Same thing. Uh, and so you've got these different brain pathways. damage happening. You're getting wow. brain damage, and you take you you if you if you scan people with major depressive disorder, or you autopsy. Um, people who have committed suicide, then you see severe atrophy and things like the hippocampus and prefrontal mm -hmm. cortex, mm -hmm. important That's areas, mm. um, and it's caused by glutamatic cytotoxicity. And so, so, but the reason all that's interesting is that there's a lot you can do about it. And so we mentioned cold. Yep. So cold water therapy, just you know, getting in cold water, especially if you can breathe slowly and deeply through your nose, which downregulates the nervous system. Yep. As a, as a, as a, as a clinical therapy for depression, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and, and potentially, I think, for TBI wow. and concussion and uh, Alzheimer's and that sort of thing, because it, it helps with that. Mm -hmm. um, but so is aerobic exercise for the mm -hmm. same reason. Uh, so, so is a whole range of nutrient supplements, particularly magnesium, 
Um, particularly, you have to take that in the form of magnesium citrate or magnesium mm. L3 and 8. Um, and, and the clinical trials of magnesium citrate and depression, it's a more effective medication than an antidepressant. Uh, and, and, you know, there's no real side effects. So magnesium, zinc, uh, omega-3 fish oils, um, B-complex vitamins, uh, vitamin C, vitamin D are all, you know, uh, anti-inflammatory, yep. antioxidant type. Uh, and all stuff that I'm on every day and my mum's on with her brain injury on all the time. That's right. Know. Because and, and they are they are down regulating glutamate transmission uh, yep. and um, achieving a glutamate GABA balance in a better way. Um, as does uh, presence of ketones in your blood occasionally, yes. uh, as does any sort of diet that's anti-inflammatory and any diet that's inflammatory exacerbates the problem. So, so, so for things like brain injuries, like, you know, someone like mum who was in a coma and they were putting a, a ba- basically a glucose strip into their, you know, into feeding tubes. Yeah. And that's just like, that's just like c- causing m- more damage than if we'd had ketones present, you know, if we'd had a yeah, high fat. Yeah, hundred percent. Because you, there's a, there's also a fuel cri- an accompanying fuel crisis in the yeah, brain where you can't f- uptake can't, the can't, can't uptake the glucose in the mm. normal fashion, but you can use ketones. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got the glutamate part going on, and you've got the glucose fuel crisis. So you know, and isn't that the same with Alzheimer's and and um, you know, they, it's it's a uh, you know when you get insulin insulin, uh, insulin resistance, resistance yeah. and then you, you also get. Uh, the glucose not being able to be uptaken in the brain, and therefore the brain starving for glucose. Yeah, and you, so, you so a, a ketogenic diet for that yeah. group is actually a pretty therapeutic diet, and that would be the one situation I would be, you know, agreeing full that keto. A, you know, more, uh, full keto is hard. I mean, obviously it's a hard population group to work with, and yeah. get them on that. But you know, that's, that's it doesn't yeah, make that's, it not therapeutic. That's another whole. No, and that's what I put, you know, like with mum's brain injury. Once I sort of started to realise that from the research I was doing, I had her as on as good as possible keto diet for that first couple of years not so much now because she's yep. got she's got um autonomy <laughs> so yeah. it's a little bit harder <laughs> to regulate yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she does do intermittent fasting and she has got all the supplements and she has got a very you know low carb diet um yep. as, as much as i can get her to do it when she's not sneaking things around the back um but the, this is just so crucial for all of these degenerative diseases you know and uh, I'm really excited um, about this this glutamate thing because it's only just come on my radar, you know, yeah. through your research. And 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 I think that this is uh, perhaps going to you know go to the next level. Are you continuing the research on this? Yeah, yeah. Because- and and I'm really interested in you know I haven't been that interested in micronutrients um, through my career. I sort of felt while well, you're eating whole food, you know, that should be the template, and I still think that. But I. I've increasingly started to think, um, especially my colleague, Julia Rutledge, who's a, a professor of psychology at University of Canterbury and her work with micronutrients. Mm-hmm. Um, she uses fairly high doses, but the, how effective those have been in her clinical trials with um, various aspects of mental health. Um, and, and, you know, just actually also random other outcomes, like they, they just happened to be doing a clinical trial when the Christchurch earthquake happened mm-hmm. and they're only halfway through it. So the randomization wasn't quite complete and they, they noticed at the end of the trial that the um, people in the micronutrient supplementation group, um, they about 19% of those ended up with some sort of post-traumatic stress from the, the, the Christchurch earthquake. Yep. Whereas those without, who were in the placebo group, 69% had post-traumatic stress. And this is consistent with other research around you know, the stress of natural, disaster, natural disasters and that sort of thing. Um, and all sorts of other things go wrong with the brain. And it's just like, you know, and there's a massive effects, you know, if you could get this from a pharmaceutical, the pharmaceutical company would be all over it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we're talking about inexpensive <laughs> micronutrients. So, yeah, so we're, we're, yeah, yeah, we're interested in those, really. So, so that improves your resilience, basically. And you've got the, the, the right, you know, the right vitamins and minerals and things in your body to do the work that's needed to be re- required. Um, have yep. you have you heard about the research of ketamine and um, uh, post traumatic stress? Um, so that when that ketamine is able to um, stop the formation of uh, the memories, uh, that you know the traumatic traumaticness, if that's a word. Um, yeah. So, of the, of so the, yeah, 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 because yeah. that's part of that. That'd be part of that glutamate thing, wouldn't it? So I'm ketamine is ketamine's a, a um, antagonizes the NDMA receptor, yes. which we, is the same. Uh, mechanism magnesium rolls a play, plays a role in, and so um, ketamine is a little bit more of a difficult substance to think about it because yeah, it's it an analgesic and it's, yeah. it's sort of that pre-anesthetic anesthetic and it really spaces people out. Um, but but you're right across um, PTSD, 
you know, single treatments have been shown to be highly effective. Single mm -hmm. treatments with major depressive disorder otherwise intractable have shown to be you know, temporarily effective. The most interesting one for me, you know, I was just talking to a, a, an ethicist the other day about this. He was talking about ketamine with, um, with you know, chronic pain sufferers. And about mm -hmm. half of the people they treat with ketamine with chronic pain, they have an instant and complete alleviation of the chronic pain. And wow. they give them ketamine at a subclinical dose for five straight days. Uh, I don't, I don't know the ins and outs of that. Does exactly. that I don't stop think. the pathways from? I don't know what I think. It, 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 it the receptor as the, the uh, and that uh, glutamate pathway for a start, which is the only real known mechanism, uh, amongst a possible other things. But you know, uh, again, it's it's astonishing in effect, right? So this is otherwise incurable, life debilitating chronic pain. Five days of treatment of the subclinical dose. You're not you're not unconscious wow. or anything. You probably can't drive around, but um, and, and it's cured, gone, not yeah. there. There's so, huge yeah, so, oh. so ketamine is an interesting one. Uh, and equally, there's other interesting antagonists of that receptor, which uh, I'm obviously no expert in, but other people have started to do the work in. And unfortunately, they've become illegal drugs like um, some of those hallucinogens, like psilocybin, yeah. the magic mushrooms, and the you know, these ayahuasca ceremony type things in South America, you know. Um, the, I hope these, they do keep researching those. Just because they're drugs doesn't mean that they're, um, they haven't got therapeutic benefits, I think. No, so they have potential therapeutic benefits. Yeah. And, you know, to understand that, I think it's going to be, that's, uh, we'll follow that. I won't be doing any of that research, of course, but so, someone will be, and then it'll be interesting to follow that as that unfolds. Um, and so and we, you can understand, just, just to finish that, with, uh, in the US in the 60s, all that came out, LSD, no one knew what to do with these drugs. So they just made them illegal, which is, you know, you can understand it at the time, but probably needs to make a, another think about that. Yeah, they do, they do. So when when you, so all of these things from things like Alzheimer's to to brain injuries to, to stress, chronic stress to uh, big stressful life events all cause an excess of glutamate. Is that correct? Like, yeah, because, right because it, it's, just, it's just, it's just overexcitation. Because because it's the it's the excitatory system and you're overproducing and you and you haven't got a pathway. So you're to, sympathetic. You're in a sympathetic state. You're in a fight or flight response. Yes, correct. And that, that'll get that'll get that. And some of those are uh, just because there's well, no, the traumatic brain injury and the Alzheimer's aren't because of that. There's other reasons that their brain cells yeah, are well, dying. But that causes, that yeah. causes a good yeah. thing. But but for the PTSD, for the depression, for the you know chronic Long stress sufferer. This is yeah, why that, stress. One of the reasons why stress is just so damaging to us, isn't it? And yeah, we weren't designed. To, we weren't designed for long-term stress. We we're designed for acute fight or flight. Yeah, yeah, and then being able. So this is why I think the the the, the research and information around how to turn on your parasympathetic nervous system at will. You know, breath work, uh, cold therapies, yeah. uh, all of, you know, saunas, you know, heat therapies. All yeah. of these things that we can do to to manage our stress levels because you know stress is probably not going to go away anytime soon. You know, we've got these, you know, incredibly stressful lives that we lead now um, with, you know, thousands of jobs that we have to do and, and yeah. things. And, you know, things like, you know, like when my, my dad passed away eight months ago, that was, you know, a stressor I couldn't control. Yeah, it's, it's, it's life, isn't it? Life, life. and, and yeah. stress is involved. And that's left a you know a massive uh, post traumatic stress. So I'm interested in all this research on how do I undo that damage, if you like. Yeah. Um, how yeah, do I, I how do I yeah, manage it? Yeah, and, yeah, and it's, this sort of stuff is really interesting. I, I just think you know the the mainstream medicinal effects of you know, cold therapy, hot therapy, and and uh, breath work, especially nasal breathing, mm. um, you know, are now sufficiently well established to to be mainstream. These are normal things mm -hmm. to engage in in your daily life to yep. manage your life. They, um, they, you know, they, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think nasal breathing, the, the work, I don't know if you know Patrick McEwen and yeah. uh, James yeah. Nestor and stuff, that's yeah. just absolutely amazing work that uh, and information that we can put into our daily lives to help cope it, to help us cope with the stress that we're under and the and the bad food even, you know, it can all yeah. help, you know, and well, athletic I, I, performance. I, I, and know? I love about those guys um, with that stuff that they've actually – they haven't tried to dumb down the science from the lay for the lay public. They treat them with the respect that they deserve, and they just translate it into an understandable manner. But they don't dumb it down; like they uh, give you the full noise. I and love I, it. I, I, I love that. I just <laughs> yeah. think, 
you know, like it's like I eat three plus servings of vegetables yeah. and two of fruit and exercise half an hour a day and not too much gardening yeah. or do it. It's like, you know, it's just bullshit. It's just treating us with disdain yes. and, and not with the deserving respect yes. uh, and respect that we deserve for, 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 you know, where the science is at. Like, no, actually get fitter, the more the better. Um, yeah. As long as you manage it, you know, like it's pretty friggin', you know, like why, why, why do they not, you know, and I see cancer uh, patients getting told, oh, just what it, eat whatever makes you feel good. I know. It's like, I'm like, like, no. No. Like, I want the best possible information. Yes. Thank you. Yes, um, and not eating cookies while you're having chemo. Um, yeah. You know, and that's what they're doing. And it's just like, do you not, are you not aware? Have you looked at the, the metabolic, you know, approach to well, cancer? Well, often the excuse, not, I, the excuse, though, Lisa, is, oh, well, um, they won't do it, so there's no point telling them. And, um, oh, that, that, that's, that's just not good enough, right? No, no, that, and yeah. that is just treating you. That's how, you know, and I've, you know, I've experienced this, unfortunately, firsthand, treating yeah. you like an idiot because you're not a professor. Yeah. You know, like just because I don't have a professor in front of my name does not mean I'm an idiot and don't treat yeah. me like an idiot as if I don't know anything. And that is, unfortunately, yeah. the way you get treated in the system yeah. pretty Yeah, the health pretty system's much. not good for that, and they try and use jargon to bamboozle, you know? Yeah. Um, doesn't work with me, but it, yeah. you know, like it, it, that, and that's not fair. Yeah, and great. you know, when I'm teaching people or, or or working with people, I I find it's absolutely crucial that I explain the mechanisms of action behind why I'm giving you this information, and I yeah. try to keep it to a, a, a level that I don't overwhelm people, but I want them to understand why they're doing this in order to make because then they're more likely to go. Oh, actually, I get it now. You know, yeah. just telling you that stress is bad for you, you should yeah. uh, meditate for a day, but I don't tell you why and what are the yeah. mechanisms and what is this actually doing in your body, then you're less likely to do it, you know. So I mean, I just for that, I just, just today, and, you know, actually the reason I'm late with you is that I had a group of uh, first-year electrical apprentices, so young guys from sort of 17 to 20 yeah, in here at, at um, mm-hmm. university, and, and we awesome. did a day's stuff. We did some fitness stuff with them, but I did a bunch of content you know, frankly, I can get them up to master's level. These are smart guys. You wow. explain it probably they're interested in it. It's great. Um, you know, and no one's treated them like that, and they never had got treated like that by some of their teachers' offices at school. They didn't get interested in those areas. But, you know, like, like – Yeah, let's treat people as if they have got a brain in the head. Just because yeah, they don't yeah. know the jargon, yeah. you can explain the jargon. And when you, when you understand – one of my um, great uh, podcast loves at the moment is uh, Professor Andrew Huberman. Do you know him from the yeah, yeah, Huberman I've, I've been Lab? Following that, he's done a great job of just sort of sitting on the couch and having yeah. a you know sci- no no graphs, no <laughs> pictures, just a you know, it's, you know deep scientific lectures about cortisol and you know stress axes and yeah, and it's really yeah. even if you're not yeah. you know that you haven't yeah. spent a decade studying this stuff, you can, you can understand him. He makes yeah, it very yeah, – Yeah, I mean, he knew that – dumbed it you know, down. Yeah, you know, high-grade neuroscience and medicine, you know, just available to the public. They love it. No, it's awesome. Yeah. That's why you've got to get your podcast back up. Yeah, yeah, I've got to get it going. You've you got to remind us to get them on your one and get me reinvigorated. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> we, need, we, need we need it straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak. We yeah. need it from people who are at the cutting edge of academia of – academia, the yep. cutting edge of research to deliver it a straight rather than it going through the zigzag of 10, you know, professionals along the way getting dumbed down to the point where it's of no use to anybody. Yeah, and then it goes into the Ministry of Health and comes out in another form altogether yeah, as well, yeah. which is, you know, like is complete bullshit. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if, if you just look at the whole, you know, vitamin C recommendations, you know, like they've been trying for years, the scientists, to get it, you know, the, the recommended daily allowance, you know, recommended daily amount that you meant to have put up just a little bit. Yeah. But no, we can't do that. You know, no, even I mean, though yeah. the science says that that's not enough, well, I mean, the, the, the entirety of the nutrition dietary guidelines are, are a joke. Know, com- complete, state, complete joke as far, so far as I'm concerned, but, mm. um, yeah. <laughs> hey, Professor Grant Schofield, you've been amazing today. I've really loved this conversation. I've, I've taken up a heap, heap of your time. I would love to have you on, uh, obviously, for more sessions if, if we can, um, because yeah, I think you know, we haven't even touched the sides, really. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. There's, there's a heck of a lot. Are there any last things that you want to share? What what are you, your, a couple of takeaways from today and our conversation today that you really want to uh, spotlight and make people? Oh, make I, sure think, I still think that, away? you know, your body wants to be in a state of 
you know, the scientific word is homeostasis, but in a state of balance, I guess, with the world it lives in. Um, but the world it's designed to live in um, needs to somehow match or be at least somehow close to our current world, and often those are a long way apart. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably the major issue, isn't it, is that we, we, we can't reach this homeostasis, so we end up with either our glucose or insulin being really high as the sort of global things or this whole glutamate thing running amok. And, you know, it's entirely predictable then on that basis that we're actually not going to be as well um, functioning as we would like. And so then the question is, what can you do about it? Um, The thing is, we always put it back on us, which is good. It doesn't need to start with us. But I think we forget we live in, you know, most people listen to this, live in a democracy. Mm -hmm. Um, And and part of a democracy is everyone actually has a say. Um, So, you know, my sort of hope is that you know everyone you guys out there um become a little bit more vocal about that i think that's a really important thing like like there is a democracy around health as a certain well-being we get to decide like the country decides um and actually we do eventually overwhelm the food industry and the pharmaceutical industry and all that sort of stuff it becomes that important it's become pretty obvious that um especially if you're young people we can do so much better and we we just need to yeah. Um, and so that's up to everyone, not just me. Like, yep. I'll, I'll keep trying, guys. But. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please but, yeah. do. Because yeah. you, because at least you have the the titles, the credibility, the name, the books, the stuff behind yeah. you to actually make a massive impact. But if we yeah. collectively all put our two cents in, so to speak, yeah, there's miles more than I can do. Um, and, and just on that, um, we've we've been, you know, I've written the books. That's great. Have a look at those. I've. Yeah, list we've, out your books and, and where where can people find you? Ah, uh, so there's there's there's, there's yeah, there's what the fat um, book dot com and that's got the what the fat, the what the fast, mm-hmm. the what the face is our latest one. There's what the fat recipes, there's what the fat sport performance. I'm yeah, you know, really incredibly proud of the me and the rest of the team. That's not a solo effort that's put those together, especially Karen Zinn and Craig Roger. Mm-hmm. Um, we've started a a company called Precure. It's been going a few years now, and we've really concentrated on um, filling a sort of treatment gap in health and the health sector with health coaching yep. uh, and sort so of advanced good. health coaching and nutrition and, and you know, mental health aspects as well. Um, like in my opinion, if you're passionate about health, um, then you don't need to go to university for 10 years to make a difference. Um, there's some stuff you need to learn, especially around the coaching aspects, around how to um, help people find the most for themselves, meeting where they're at and those things. And those are good, fun skills to learn, both for yourself and your family, but also for helping other people. So yeah. Precure, we sort of felt, uh, so it's, uh, prevention is cure, Precure, P, Pre with a K, Precure. Precure, P-R-E-K-U-R-E. Yeah, dot com. Um, we've, we've, we're really passionate about helping you help yourself with your health, but more than that, helping help others. And that's the sort of help, help you know, taking a part of the, uh, taking an active part in this um, issue um, yep. for us is, is around, you know, take advantage of democracy, but also take the advantage to help. You know, when you get new knowledge and it's useful, you know, share it for God's sake. Yeah, um, that's 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 gonna chip away at yep. you know the food industry and the sort of other forces that tend to undermine any attempt at you know human well-being change and rig- yeah. yeah and i think this you know the health i mean i'm obviously in the health coaching space yeah. and yeah. and this is a new burgeoning area we need more people coming into this area that yeah. you know um can share this sort of knowledge and bring it out there and you, you know and who better to keep you on track and helping you with things between friends and family and and other people you know around your community rather than having to go to the clinic and the doctor and you know it's all sickness orientated but and you've you got know, 15 uh, minutes if you're lucky yeah but someone who's actually got a genuine interest in how you're going and mm-hmm. wants to help you mm-hmm. uh and you know so i think we'll go that way i'm really looking forward to that yeah let's keep working on this mission <laughs> i think we're on the same mission <laughs> Uh, Professor Grant, you're just awesome. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed our conversation today and we'll hopefully have you on again soon. That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends and head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com. 